Well, please do turn with me to that passage that we read in Luke chapter 4 and 5. We're pausing at the start of this term to look at Jesus at the start of his ministry as we start back our ministries. And hopefully as we do this, we'll see why Jesus is so worth it, why he is worth uh, everything that he calls us to do uh, together as a church. And my prayer as we start looking at the start of Jesus' ministry over these last few weeks is that we would get a glimpse of his greatness. And as we see how wonderful he is, we are willing and ready then to follow him and do whatever he calls us to do. We need Jesus. We need his help and we need to see a fresh vision of Jesus. Now, um, if we don't believe that Jesus is truly wonderful, if we don't believe that Jesus truly is great, then everything he calls us to do is going to be a slog. When he calls us to follow him, it's going to be hard work for us to do that. When he calls us to obey him and say no to sin, yes to him, we'll feel much more tempted to go the way of our flesh rather than the way of Jesus if we don't see him as wonderful. If we don't see him as wonderful, then the sacrifices he calls us to make in the Christian life are going to seem too big. So this morning we pray, Lord Jesus, show us your greatness so that when we see how great you are, then following you um, seems just not a slog, but a joy and a pleasure. When it comes to serving Jesus this year, well, however we're called to do that, maybe in the active things of the church, maybe in our daily lives, when it calls to serving him, there will be sacrifices. It's going to be costly. It's going to be costly of our energy, costly of our time. It's going to be, we're going to need to be uh, sacrificial. It might cost us our reputation to stand up for Jesus. But you see, if we love someone or something, then making sacrifices for them is not hard, is it? You know what it is to travel a long distance to see someone who you can't wait to see. You will pay the money it needs to be paid. You will spend the time that needs to be spent because it means so much to you. You will know what it is if you care some, for somebody to give up your belongings for them, to give financially to them, because you love them and you care about them. If you love someone or care about something or think somebody is worthwhile, you will spend time um, thinking of them and serving them and doing things for them. You know, it is easy for us to see what's most important in our lives this morning. Just look on the last couple of weeks, see what you've spent your time on, your thinking on, your money on, and that is what's most important to you. That is what you treasure, that is what you love. And so this morning, let's pray that we see how great Jesus is, so that when he says, follow me, we see he is worthy and he is worth it. The reason I'm saying that is because if you look at the last line of the passage you're looking at in Luke 5 verse 11, notice how where, this is where we're going. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Peter, we see encounters him here, some other of Jesus' disciples saw something in Christ, saw things about Jesus that made, it, uh, made him then willing to give up everything to follow him. So what do we see in this passage from chapter 4 verse 31 down? What do we see here that shows us that Jesus is worth giving up everything for? Well, I want us to see five things in this passage that shows us 
this is why Jesus is worth it. This is why he's worth us keeping on going as a church. This is why he's worth us sacrificing um, things that he calls us to sacrifice for. This is why he's worth saying no to sin for, yes to him for, five things. The first is this. Notice the authority of Jesus. Jesus is worth giving up everything for because of the authority of Jesus. We see this especially in verses 31 down to 41 of chapter 4. Jesus is teaching with this amazing authority. See that in, um, in verse 31? He's teaching again in a, in a synagogue like we saw last week. And they, verse 32, were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Can you imagine being there? Here is somebody who is speaking and he speaks with such a power, such an authority that people couldn't believe it. They'd never heard anything like this. Listen to those words. We go on to see, not only does he have authority in his teaching, verse 33, there was a man there with an unclean demon in him, and he, this demon was crying out from this man. What does Jesus do? Well, he rebukes the spirit, verse 35. He tells the spirit off like an unruly child, and the spirit has to obey. Do you see the authority, the power of Jesus there? He speaks, and the demon has to obey. We see that uh, in verse 38, he goes into Simon's house. Simon is Peter. Jesus gives him the name Peter later on. But he enters Simon's house and his mother-in-law is ill. She's got a high fever. We think that that might be dysentery, which would have been fatal back then. So here she was struggling. Here she was potentially heading towards her death. But what does Jesus do? Verse 39 to the illness. He stood over her and rebuked the fever. And the fever leaves. Jesus has authority to talk to people, and they listen. He has the authority to talk to demons, and they listen. He speaks to disease, and disease flees. We can see elsewhere in his ministry, can't we, that he goes on and he goes to a girl who is dying, and a girl who dies, and brings her back to life. He has authority over death, over demons, over diseases. Later on in this passage, we're going to see that he has the authority to command where fish go. He has the authority over nature. This is Jesus. He has this amazing authority, and he has total command over it. You know, people sometimes say, and if you've heard this phrase, well, look at them, they're walking around like they own the place. Have you heard that phrase? Jesus was walking around like he owned the place because he does. This world is his, and he was showing us who has the power to command away diseases? Who has the power to speak with authority to say, this is true? Only the one who is the Lord of all, Jesus Christ. He's showing us something amazing about himself here again. Like we saw last week, he is showing us the only person who has the authority over nature, the only person who has authority over our body and the cells in our body, the only person who could speak with truth that we can trust is God himself. And Jesus has shown us once again, this is God in the flesh. He has come. Jesus has shown us that he's not just an interesting teacher from the first century that can be lumped together with all the other religious leaders. This is God in the flesh, and we can trust him. And he shows us what it means to trust in this one of authority. This one of authority helps us to live with glorious hope. I've said this before, but um, you know when you watch a film or go to the cinema, you see these trailers, these adverts before, and they show you, this is what the film's going to look like. And you see a, a clip of that film, just a, a glimpse, and you see some of the highlights. Well, when Jesus came to earth, he was giving us a trailer 
of what this world will look like when he's in total authority. See, when he went near demons, they went. Evil was gone when he was near. When he went near disease, there was no more diseases when Jesus was near. When he went near death, he just reversed it. You look at every funeral Jesus went to, and they didn't end up being funerals because he brought those people back to life. Jesus has the authority, the power to to fix everything that's broken in this world. And one day, the Bible says, he's coming back. And remember how Revelation describes it, a place of no more sadness or sickness or death or disease. No more tears. And Jesus here is showing us a trailer of that. Jesus draws near, sadness is gone. That's the authority he has to fix it all. And one day he will. Doesn't that give us hope on a day like today? on a time like we're going through at the moment, when there is a lot of sadness around, there's one who has the power to fix it and one day will. That is why it hurts so much when we grieve. Because it shouldn't be like this. Jesus is coming to put things right. And one day he's coming back. The question for us today is, are we on his side? Are we part of that plan? Are we going to be with him forever? Are we trusting him today? Look at the authority And this is the one who says, follow me. I'm the one. I'm the one who can speak truth into your life when all around is confusion. I speak with clarity. I'm the one who has the power to help you in the deepest, darkest part of your life. I'm the one. Trust in me. Why is Jesus worth it? Why is he worth giving up everything for? Firstly, because of his authority. Secondly, look at his generosity. Look at his generosity. Let's jump down to chapter 5 now. Uh, on this encounter that Peter has with Jesus. So Jesus is gaining popularity. As you can see, he's healing, he's teaching. Everybody wants to be near him. They want to see this man. And um, because of that, they're pressing in on him. We hear in chapter 5, verse 1, the crowds are pressing in. So he ends up standing on a boat, and he pushes the boat out a bit. There was apparently a natural kind of amphitheater around where he was on the Lake of Gennesaret. And so he was standing on a boat as a platform, as a stage, to speak so that people could hear. And um, after he's finished speaking, he sees these fishermen, and he says, how many fish have you caught, boys? And they say, oh, nothing. I've done nothing. And so he tells them to cast into the deep. We'll look at that in a few moments, how controversial that was. So they cast into the deep, but what happens in verse 6? When they'd done it, a large number of fish uh, they caught, and they caught so many, their nets were breaking. They had to call over other boats to come and help them, and the boats were sinking. They'd caught so many fish. This was an unusual, huge amount of fish. This wasn't just a, oh, here's some to top up on the fact that you didn't get any. This was unheard of. These boats weren't built for for catches this big. This was something amazing. Now, why, the question is, why did Jesus do a miracle in this way? He could have just made them catch a normal amount of fish, couldn't he? Just to show, yeah, I've got the authority over where the fish are. But no, Jesus was showing us in this miracle, again, what he's like. And he shows them something that I think we struggle to believe about Jesus. Jesus could have come and said, come and follow me but he didn't, did he? He wanted to show this miracle first. He wanted to show Peter and these other fishermen, look, this is who, this is I'm asking you to follow. I'm asking you to follow me because I'm like this. So he offers way more than they need. He shows them that he, he does this miracle in abundance. 
And the reason I'm saying this is a point is because it's not the only time he does it, is it? Think of the feeding of the 5,000. There they were, they were hungry in this desolate place. Does Jesus just give them something to tie them over? Just, you know, here's a couple of sweets to keep you going till the next time you can eat. No. He gives them, he feeds 5,000, and everybody had had their fill, we're told. And there were 12 baskets left over. So people ate until they couldn't eat anymore. So not just a little bit of food, but an abundance of food. Think of the water into wine. He made um, 500 or 750 litres of wine for that wedding. Way more than they needed. Not enough just to keep them happy, but way more than they needed. Jesus wants to show, I'm a God of abundance. I'm a saviour who wants to give more than you need. So he's not stingy or miserly or unkind. He is lavish in his goodness and kindness to us. Now, do we believe that? Do we believe that Jesus is this kind and generous and good saviour? We might agree with these things. Oh yeah, I can see that, but are we living that out? Does the way you think about Jesus reflect that? Does the way you pray to God reflect that? Remember, Jesus tells us, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What is our God in heaven like? Our Father is a generous Father who wants to give. Ask him, seek him. Now, I wonder today, is your, when you look at your prayer life, are you praying great things for God? Or are you praying for things that you can manage on your own and you're asking for a little bit of help? As a church, shouldn't we be praying for big things? Things that are impossible for us to do, but easy for God. He's generous. He wants to bring glory to his name. So let's pray big prayers. Let's ask for great things. We have a generous God. When we look around us in this world, doesn't it remind us how generous and good God is? He could have made this world simply functional. A sun setting could just be functional, but instead it's a masterpiece. You know, when you see some of the sunsets we've had over the summer, haven't they been glorious? Our God is an artist, a generous, kind God who wants us to see the beauty all around us. The heavens, nature declares to us the glory of God. It won't be long until the, the green leaves start turning golden and we'll see the beauty of autumn. I pray we'll have a few nice crisp autumnal mornings. You know where you, have to, you can walk through and crunch in those leaves. Beautiful trees, beautiful nature all around us. Maybe we'll see snowflakes. Think of the size of a snowflake and how intricate they are. Have you seen them under a microscope? I haven't got a microscope out to do that, but you know, you've seen the pictures, haven't you? Just so much detail in the smallest of places. Our God is generous and glorious and creative. He gives us laughter and friendship and family and fun. He gives us music and art and films and books. He gives us food. Whatever your favorite food is, place it there. He gives us that to enjoy. Not just a nozzle in our side to top us up, but he gives us taste buds. He gives us steak, curries, pizza, whatever it is. That's the God who has made us. He's generous. He is kind. He's not boring. He's life-giving. He is multicolour, as it were, not just black and white. This is our God. Do you believe it? Why would you want to follow God and give up everything for him? Because you realise, wow, he's not stingy. He is generous and kind and loving. The heart of Satan's lie in the Garden of Eden was that God is stingy. The God doesn't really want you to enjoy. Do you remember his lie? 
Well, you can't, did God say that you can't eat from any tree? God only said not to eat from one, but Satan twisted it to be negative. God said you can't eat from any tree. He emphasized the negative, but God said, look, it's all yours. Everything is, here, is yours except for one thing, but Satan twists it. He wants us to believe that God is not generous, that he's not good. So let's reverse that this morning by reminding ourselves just how good God is, how generous he is, and very kind. The authority of Jesus, that's the first reason. Why is Jesus worth giving up everything for? Why is he worth sacrificing for this term for the rest of our lives? Because of his authority, he speaks that truth. Because of his generosity to us. And the third thing is because of his power, his power. Now, so these fishermen are there, they're washing their nets. It would have been a horrible job, that. Getting rid of all the gunk that they pulled up, because they haven't pulled up any fish. They just would have pulled up weeds and cleaning it all out, a horrible job. They were fixing the nets that might have been torn, and they they were doing it after a frustrating night because they'd caught nothing. Um, As I said, Jesus now was using this boat to speak, and he turns to Peter in verse 4. Do you see what he says? When Jesus had finished speaking, he said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, Peter's response is verse 5, we toiled all night and took nothing. You know, Peter knows that the way you fish is not to fish in the day. In the day, the fish go, um, you know, aren't there, and especially not down in the deep. So he says, well, no, the way you catch fish is you go into the shallows in the night. So that's how they do it. But Peter instead, well, he does eventually listen, doesn't he? But can you imagine him thinking, yeah, Jesus, that was a good sermon. I'm impressed with your preaching, but leave the fish in to me. I've been doing this for a few years. It's been in my family for generations. That's not how you do, do fishing. But he doesn't do that, does he? He kind of willingly, reluctantly maybe, but he says, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And he listens to Jesus. I wonder if you're good at listening to advice. Are you good at admitting when you don't know how to do something? Are you kind of one of these people who throws away the instructions, you know? The instructions in the box, don't need them. I'll work this out. Um, to then be looking in the recycle bin for the instructions about an hour later when you're struggling. It's hard, isn't it, sometimes to admit we need help. But when God comes alongside us and he says, let me help you, let me show you how life works best, let me show you how humanity is supposed to live, then sometimes it can, well, we can feel uncomfortable. No, I want to know. I want to do things my way. I want to go my way. And as we look at the world around us, aren't we looking at uh, the results of us saying to God, we're going to do this on our own. We know what's best. We don't need to listen to the Bible. We don't need you. We're doing this because we think we know what's best. But God, who is eternal, who's always been, comes alongside us this morning with all his authority and power and says, listen to me. Trust me. Again, look at creation, look at the stars, look at the number of um, the size of the universe, look at the intricacies of the human body that God invented, look at nature all around us. The one who invented all that, the one who has the power to speak into, um, into life, this world and this universe, the one who knows everything there is to know, says, will you listen to me? Will you trust me with your life? What are we going to say to him this morning? See, Jesus says, trust me, listen to me, follow me. This is Jesus who has the power to summon these fish or the knowledge to know where they are. Will we listen to him this morning? 
Why is he worth giving up everything for? Because of his power. Because he had the power to summon these fish. He had the power to, to, to speak truth into a life where they thought they knew what was best. Are you reluctant to listen to Jesus this morning in some area of your life? Is it an area you're saying, this is mine. I'm not letting God touch it. God loves you too much to leave you like that. And lovingly, he's saying this morning again, come on, trust me, follow me. Why is Jesus worth giving up everything for? Because of his authority, because of his generosity, because of his power. And next we're going to see because of his honesty, because of his honesty, the honesty of Jesus. Now, Peter's just seen this amazing miracle. What is his response? Is it the reaction you expect? You see it in verse 8. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, O Lord. Now Peter's interest in through this passage has changed his name of what he calls Jesus. In verse um, 5, he calls him Master. You see that? Master, we toiled all night. But by verse 8, he's calling him Lord, Kyrios, which is the, the name they would have given to God. So he is acknowledging now that this is not just a master, this is not just a teacher, but this is God. He is no, knows he's dealing with somebody who has this amazing power, who has this amazing authority. Remember, he's already seen him heal his mother-in-law as well. That's part of this account. And suddenly, he realizes before this greatness, well, if this man knows everything, if this man is God, then he knows what I'm like. He has seen me through and through, and he knows um, everything about me. And he feels undone. And Peter just falls down and says, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to stand before you. In the light of this greatness, Peter just feels his unworthiness. Now, we know what that's like to a lesser extent, don't we? If you've ever started going to a gym and you stand next to somebody who's picking up all these weights and they're there with all their muscles bulging and you're trying to kind of go on an exercise bike, you feel very small. You feel very, you feel your weakness. If you've ever stood next to somebody who is very, very clever and they're quoting all these different people and spouting out all these information and facts, suddenly you feel very stupid. If you stand next to somebody who can play an instrument amazingly and you try and maybe play chopsticks on the piano, suddenly you feel, yeah, I'm not that great. In the light of greatness, we can feel weak and small. Well, when we see the glory of Christ, when we think of his greatness and his holiness, his perfection, how he never put a word, uh, never said a word wrongly, never put a foot wrong, never did anything wrong, was pure and perfect. Suddenly, Peter is aware of his sinfulness. And isn't that the same with us today? Think of Christ in all his perfection. And he knows everything about us, everything about our lives, everything that we've ever said or done, everywhere we've ever been, all those words that we've said that we're embarrassed about, the people that we've hurt, the things that we're ashamed of. And then we remember Jesus knows everything about us. And don't we feel like Peter? Depart from me. I'm a sinful person. Just, just leave me. Sometimes we can be very chummy with Jesus, can't we? Do you know what I mean by that? Just think he's just a mate. Well, Jesus is the best of friends. But don't we need to remember as well, he is great and powerful and holy. And when we, when we see him as he is, we will feel undone. We will realize the depth of our sin. You need to realize that Jesus wants to speak honestly into our lives this morning. 
He knows what we're like, and he's not going to um, make that sound any nicer than it is. He knows we've failed. He knows we've sinned. He knows we've hurt his and broken his heart. And so the honesty of Jesus is, I'm going to tell you what's wrong. I'm going to tell you the problem. He is the doctor who tells us the truth about the condition of our heart. He is the one who wants to say, look, you have got a problem, and it is deep. It's uncomfortable to hear, but we need to hear it because without hearing the truth from the doctor, we can't get healed, can we? Without hearing the reality of our situation, we can't be fixed. And so Jesus, in his honesty, tells us this morning, yes, we're all in the same boat. We're all sinners. We all say, depart from me. That's how we feel. But the good news is that the account doesn't stop there. Peter doesn't say, fine, I'll leave you alone now, Peter. You know now that you've done a lot of wrong things. You know you're sinful, so I'm going. No, no, no. We've got to get to this last point to see how glorious our Savior is. So why is Jesus worth giving up everything for? Because of his authority, his generosity, his power, his honesty. And the last thing you're going to see is because of his grace, the grace of Jesus. What reaction would you expect from somebody who knows the deepest, darkest corners of your heart? Somebody who knows every area of weakness that you've got, every error you've ever made, outwardly and inwardly as well. What would you expect them to say? Would you expect them to hang around? Would you expect them to want to be your friend? But look what Jesus says to Peter in verse 10. He says, um, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. From now on, Peter, you're joining my team. Peter, you're on board. It's like, hang on a minute. <laughs> Peter's just told him, I've failed, I've messed up, I'm a sinner. I, you know, go away from me. I'm not worthy to be here. And Jesus' reaction isn't, oh, oh, you're a sinner. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to find someone better. His reaction isn't that at all, is it? His reaction is, I know. I know all about you. And I want you to join my team. I know how hot-headed you are, Peter. I know all those words you've said, the things you've done, that I know it all. And I'm going to use you as part of my plan. See, when Peter admits his failure, that's actually uh, the qualification to be with Jesus. I need, I, I need help. And Jesus